start my timer as if I'm starting a run. Uh, my heart rate probably will be around that same pace. Uh, you know, my name is Justin Simmons, and uh, I have had the great privilege of serving as one of the pastors from the beginning of Love Chapel Hill, moving here 13 years ago and starting to worship at the Varsity 12 years ago. Um, I want to give a huge shout out to some of us who are here who were there at the very first one. Derek and uh, Sophia Hastings uh, and Shepherds over in Quest Kids. Um, Matt, of course, myself, um, some folks joining us online, Steve and Debbie Smith, Carolyn Martin, uh, Dustin Vale. They're still, still with us from that very first Sunday. It is beautiful over these 12 years um, just to, to have this community. And it really is that privilege, even greater than getting to serve as, as one of the pastors, but a privilege to be in community with each and every one of you. That we get to see the heart of Jesus lived out among us. That this is a church living on mission to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. I get really excited about the tangible expressions of how we get to see the heart of Jesus lived out among us at the varsity on Sunday mornings, but, but also the other six days of the week. Y'all, we are a seven-day-a-week kind of church. This is not about Sunday morning, though it is beautiful, and we love gathering together, and gosh, we missed it when we couldn't, but it is, it is a seven-day-a-week church family that we get to be a part of and that we get to engage the community around us with the heart of Jesus. And so we are... Yeah, we are just so grateful. If you have ever given financially to support Love Chapel Hill, if you have given to support um, just in any, any way that you have served, if you have prayed for this church over the past 12 years, thank you. We could not do this without you. It is a beautiful, beautiful expression of the heart of Jesus in the ways that you live this out, that we get to see it in our midst. And y'all, we have lived some life over 12 years. The heights and the depths that we have shared together. And I appreciate that you all know that when we come up here to teach, if it's Matt, if it's Joel, anyone who comes into this place to teach, you know that we don't have it figured out. (laughs) That this is us sharing in this journey together that together we are learning more of the depths of God's heart and his great love for us. And so we are on this journey together, even today. Over the past 12 years and really so much of my life, there has been this journey of faith that it is moving from my head to my heart. Knowing, knowing that Jesus died for me that he gave his life for me is something that I have known for a long time. But it has been a journey for that to move from knowing to experiencing. And so we are going to dive in today to a passage that I think captures this deeper journey of knowing and experiencing the heart of God, the depths of his love today. This passage has been formative for me in capturing that deeper journey, that verse by verse, it really looks at the depth of God's heart 
God's love for us and me becoming fully who God created me to be. And that is my prayer for us today, that this, this would capture that journey for you. We experience becoming who God has created us to be. This passage that we're going to go through today is one of the most familiar scriptures in the whole Bible. Right up there with John 3.16 and the Lord's Prayer. Psalm 23 is where we are going today. If you've already looked ahead, no, you haven't showed up to a funeral. Um, this, <laughs> this, this is our mission today, to see this passage not as a passage that we have known so, so well that we almost gloss over it. And that's the risk of it being so familiar is that we gloss over it and we miss the depth of it. And so we want to do a deeper dive today into Psalm 23. It's the hard work of unlearning, right? If it is so familiar for us, we have to unlearn the things that we thought we knew about this passage. So what comes to mind for you? When you think of Psalm 23, it is probably a funeral or a memorial service, right? Whether you've been around the church uh, for a while or not, this is so frequently used in, in a memorial service. And I, I learned recently that um, this is actually used also in the Jewish burial rite, that this is, is a common passage that is used in that space. And, and the transition from life to death. But today, I hope that we can move in our minds that this passage is not about life to death, but this is from death to life. That Psalm 23 is about an awakening life. J.D. Walt, our friend over at Seedbed, um, and in the daily text just a couple years ago, totally turned my heart around on this passage because I had been in that space of thinking about it only in that way. And if you are not yet tuned in to the daily text as a way to engage with scripture on a regular basis, I wanna encourage you to do that. Um, there's a link actually on the Sunday page below the scripture. You can go directly to the daily text. Uh, you can subscribe for it and get it, get it each day. Um, but back in, in February of 2020, this, this was a series um, that J.D. did, and it totally transformed my way of seeing Psalm 23. One of the ways that I have worked through unlearning this is to memorize it. And I want to encourage you to do that. Commit this to memory. One of the ways that I have started working towards um, memorizing this is saying it out loud. Saying it over and over again so that I don't just read it, but I hear it. And in doing that, I want to go ahead and apologize. If you have ever been um, at Jordan Lake and heard someone shouting over the water um, verses of scripture, that's me. <laughs> I'm the weirdo that is out there uh, shouting scripture over the water, really so I can memorize it, right? Um, you may also hear me shouting less holy things when my daughter Avery's dog, Dylan, throws me in the water off of the paddleboard. Um, and it's at this point, if you know my daughters, Riley and Avery, and you know of Dylan, then you know at this point, Riley would want me to tell you that Webster, our older dog, is the better dog. Um, 
of the two. I love them both, and I can't take sides, but um, Dylan does have a way of getting to me. So um, we'll leave it at that. So today, Psalm 23 is where, where we are, are going to dive in. To see this as a passage moving from death to life, a life compelled by love, the greatest love, in fact, perfect love. We're going to look at it through the context of relationship, through provision, and through freedom. Are you ready to dive in? Psalm 23. Lord, let the, let the reading of your word pierce our hearts today. To hear from you, to know what you would have us to see and to learn from it. Let the Holy Spirit just guide this word, that it be yours, Lord, not mine, all for your glory, that to know more of you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So y'all, let's read it together. If you're there on the Sunday page, it is going to be down toward the bottom. And this version may not be as familiar to you. Uh, the King James Version is what we often know in, uh, in our funeral and memorial contexts. But the New International Version, I think, captures the, the original language translation much better. It's less poetic. I'm sorry about that. Um, King James was about the poetry. And um, this is going to sound a little bit different than what we're used to. But let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In preparing for this, I realized that I really have like an eight-session series. And so I'm going to try to finish this up prior to lunch. Um, but I'm not making promises at this point. So hang with me. The thing we didn't read at the beginning is that there is a title that says a psalm of David. And so what is, what is that? That is an indicator for us. If you were with us last week, Matt beautifully unpacked the life of David and the covenant that God made with him. If you didn't get to see it online or you weren't with us, I encourage you to go watch it. It was absolutely amazing to hear how this life of David and his, the covenant that God made with him points to Jesus. And so for us here, as, with that title, we know that it is of David, right? And so who is David but a shepherd boy? He's the youngest, the smallest of Jesse's kids. He is the runt of the family. He's the coolest kid on the block with a slingshot. He's a mighty, he becomes a mighty warrior, and he experiences life on the run in hiding and fearing for his life. 
He becomes the greatest of Israel's kings. He commits multiple crimes and massive, devastating failures in his leadership. He experienced terrible loss and tragedy in his life. And all of it, the scripture tells us that he was a man after God's own heart. To sum it up, he had the fullness of human experience. He is fully human. And so as we come to this, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty fully human. And so this, we can read this through our eyes with our words. So the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Is an orientation for us. And when I hear the Lord is my shepherd, because we are on this side of Jesus coming and giving himself for us, we read it through the lens. I read it through the lens, at least remembering what Jesus said. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's like David could see ahead of time that Jesus, the good shepherd, who he was and what he was about. The Lord is my shepherd, not just the shepherd, but the good shepherd. And David puts it in that context of my shepherd, which indicates a relationship, right? It is my shepherd. The relationship of a sheep to its shepherd is one of trust. The deepest of trust, in fact, that the sheep will follow the shepherd wherever he goes. And so for us, there is an accepting and understanding of our role that we we are the sheep. And when we get that part right with the Lord as our shepherd, then everything else falls into place. And so that's where it starts with relationship. That the Lord is my shepherd. He has to be mine and he has to be yours before he can be ours. And so he he is my shepherd. What does it mean to lack nothing? The King James Version just said, I shouldn't want anything, right? And so that, that seemed maybe a little easier. But to lack nothing. J.D. in the daily text, he, he puts it this way. To, to want nothing is to change, to have a change in our behavior. But to lack nothing is a change in our being. That we lack nothing simply because of the relationship. Because of the Lord being my shepherd, I lack nothing. What would it look like in your life if we lived, if you lived, if I lived like we lack nothing? If we lacked nothing, or maybe even that we have more than enough. I think it looks a little bit like Paul gives us in Philippians 4, where he says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. The Paul's trust of the Lord making a way for him in all circumstances. It's a picture of this trust, the trust relationship of a sheep to its shepherd. What are the barriers for you that might keep you from this kind of trust? For me, it's often the fear of his provision. And would it be enough? Oddly enough, that's exactly where the next part of this passage goes, is to the provision. He gets to the provision when he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, his provision is there. First, it gets to the food and the water that we need. He makes us lie down in green pastures. Y'all, I hate to break it to you, but Israel doesn't have a whole lot of lush green fields, okay? Um, I actually dropped in for you there below the scripture. If you just want to hit green pastures, there's an image link right there to see what would have been in David's mind. It's a rocky hillside carved up with paths from centuries and centuries of grazing. But the Mediterranean moisture coming in each evening brings enough moisture that grass grows among the rocks. And the shepherd has to lead the sheep along these paths to find the food that they need for the day. But it's just enough for the day. When we have that idea of a lush green field which is beautiful, and it takes me to Ireland in my mind. (laughs) The sheep don't so much need the shepherd to provide the food, to provide the guidance to the food. But for David, who was a shepherd boy, this is his known way of life. There's a video there also. Watch that later. It is, if you want to go deeper into that, um, you you can discover a bit more. Within the quiet waters to drink, y'all, sheep, they can't see so well. Um, They depend on their hearing. And so they know the shepherd's voice and they can follow the shepherd. They're also not the smartest animals on the planet. But they know enough that when they hear rushing water, that is danger for them. And so they are turning away from that place. Quiet waters are a safe place to go and drink. And so the shepherd leads them there. They know if they were to fall into rushing waters that they can hear, probably not going to make it. 
the provision of refreshing our soul. Y'all take a deep breath. Go ahead and do it again. With every breath, there is refreshing. The Good Shepherd brings about healing and restoration. Right where we are. That so often refreshing or restoring often feels like a place that we need to go to some mountaintop or retreat to experience it. And those things are great and we should do them. But there is refreshing in the daily. In the minute by minute. This word, the Hebrew word here for soul is actually, it's nefesh, which is the Hebrew, Hebrew word for life. And where does life come from? It is breathed in. The breath of God is breathed into Adam in the very beginning and so breathed into us minute by minute. The provision of life bringing our soul back to us. This is something that is going on and on and on. It is not just a moment in time refreshing, but this can be his provision every single minute. If you're in a discipleship band, you know um, that this is, this is core to, to that. If you've heard us talk about bands around here and you think you need an instrument to be a part of one, come find one of us afterwards to talk a little bit more about discipleship bands. But at the, at the core of those discipleship bands, there is a central question that we ask each other each week in, in groups of, of three to five people. How is it with your soul? How is it with your life? I can't think of a whole lot of times my response in that has been, I'm refreshed. But it's possible. And his provision for leading us along life's paths. It says he guides me along the right paths. There's another image at the bottom there if you want to click it similar to the first. But this one shows a bit more looking at the path. The paths on these mountains that a, sheep, a shepherd would be leading its sheep. They're steep, steep mountains. And you can't go up them because it's so steep. And you can't go down them because it's so steep. You must go forward and you must go around the mountain to make your way up or down. These are the right paths. You can see if you were to get on the wrong path that it might not go well. If you meet another flock along the way, somebody's turning around. You've got to go forward or back. There's no up or down. One of the questions for me that comes in this space is how do I know if I'm on the right path? Have you ever wondered that? How do you know if you're on the right path? First, we know it's about following the shepherd. And so if we are following the shepherd, that is the path. But along that path, are you seeing the fruit of the spirit growing? Is it love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. 
along that path. Conversely, how do you know if you're on the wrong path? Right? Is it bitterness? Is it envy? Is it fear that is growing up along the way? He doesn't lead us along the right paths and it becomes this easy life where everything's good and it's a happily ever after kind of way. But for his glory, he is leading us that we can see that fruit grow in our lives. Maybe you're on the rocky hillside and trying to find the right way forward, or maybe you've come to a fork in the road at this point in your life and wondering which path to take. Ask the Lord as your shepherd to lead you and look for the fruit along the way. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, y'all, even the right paths lead through dark valleys. Jesus made a promise to us, to his disciples, that in this world you will have trouble. And in the same breath he says, Behold, I have overcome the world. That in the darkest valley, He is with us. Whether that dark valley is some external force that has come against us, some type of trauma, or tragedy that the world can bring, or whether that is internal, our own self-doubt, our own wrestling, our own, the darkness of not being able to get out of our own heads. There is darkness around us and within us, but it can't stand when the light breaks in. Light will overcome darkness every single time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and y'all, it took me going through a really dark valley to ask for help. I have believed the lie that I could do this all on my own. But in the darkest valley, seeking professional help from a counselor and opening up my heart and my life to people in this community and being carried when I didn't know how to walk forward. In the darkness, he still has provision, has provision for us. I can't help but think of the Winston Churchill quote in this place that if you are going through hell, keep going. Because there is light. There is light on the other side of that dark valley. And there are two mountaintops on either side of it. And so we keep going. And in that we find freedom 
because the next passage, the next verse says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And there is freedom when we can break loose of fear. That you are not alone. Hmm. You know, my, my girls often memorize scripture with me. Riley and Avery are, are often <laughs> helping me memorize. So we bounce these off of each other in the car when we're driving to school in the morning. And this particular part, when we get to this, this part of the passage, they say, <laughs> they say, I will fear no evil. <laughs> and it's like they shout it and they like throw their finger in the air and it's just <laughs> the image of that is like for me it is throwing a finger in the face of Satan himself to say you don't have anything on me I will fear no evil for you are with me because <coughs> in fact there is no fear in love Perfect love casts out fear. When we find the freedom from that fear, we can be who God has created us to be. And then we don't mind, we don't mind the rod and the staff that bring correction and guidance because we are in this space of freedom and knowing that God is for us and for the best for us. And in that freedom, we know that he can prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You have to pause here and say, who is my enemy? Take just a minute yourself, evaluate. If you were to answer that question, who is your enemy? Maybe you're at war with someone in your family. Maybe you're at war with a neighbor down the street. Maybe you're just passively avoiding and warring in your own mind and someone else doesn't even know <laughs> that you're at war. Been there. <laughs> and I've often thought of this part of the passage that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies like that God sets a table and we're sitting down to have a meal while the other side is like trying to come at us and we're like, nah, you can't get me. I'm good. But Jesus tells us to love our enemies. He turns it upside down and this table to be set in the presence of our enemies. Jesus says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He prepares a table that we get to sit and we share this table even with our enemies. And it is only in freedom that that is possible that the freedom that we find in relationship with the Lord, with him as our shepherd, that that is even possible. It is not by our strength that we can do that. 
but by the Holy Spirit that anoints and fills our cups. In verse 6, to wrap it up and find a way to land this plane before lunch. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. The word follow here is actually more accurately translated pursues. Goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. That it is a constant pursuit and it doesn't say your vengeance and your wrath pursue me. It says your goodness and your love follow me all the days of my life. When you feel like there's someone over your shoulder and you look back, you're like, oh, okay, it's goodness and love. They're right there pursuing me. I even think of it as, as maybe that's pushing me. Maybe that is moving me forward. His goodness and love. The Lord will not stop trying to get our attention. Whatever it takes, he will use every opportunity because he is in pursuit and he wants us to know just how much he loves us. And what does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? As we think of our mansion in heaven with the 27 rooms it has and the five-car garage, and I've acknowledged the Lord sometimes, so someday when I get to heaven, there's some mansion waiting for me, right? But to dwell in the house of the Lord starts here and now. It is in this world that we are moving into the Lord's house with our brothers and our sisters here and all over the world. Because Jesus told us he went to prepare a place for us a long time ago. And now he invites us to move into that place. The word to dwell can also be translated to return. To return to the house of the Lord forever. Forever is not some far off place, but it starts now and continues on. And so he invites us. He invites us into relationship with him. Whether for the first time, receiving Jesus as our Savior. Or to take the next step on the deeper journey. Moving from that place from our heads to our hearts. That he is the Lord of our life. That he is the Lord reigning in our lives that we may dwell in his house from now and for forevermore his sacrifice his sacrifice brought for us freedom from sin and death but it didn't just it didn't just save us from something it saved us to something. It saved us to live life to the fullest, compelled by love. And so today, as we remember 
that Jesus he allowed his body to be broken for us. And that his blood would be poured out for us. This cup, the cup of the new covenant that he makes with us. That we cast out fear as we receive it today. The bread and the cup replace it. That his life fills us. And we say, Behold, you are making me new. I am yours. You are my shepherd. And you, I lack nothing. So you are invited today to take that first step or to take the next step in your relationship with the Lord. Ponder what he's inviting you to as you come to the table. Receive the bread and the cup, his body and his blood, broken and poured out for you. Come, taste and see that the Lord is good.